Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at uh, Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to welcome everybody who's worshiping with us via video today. I want to shout out to the folks in uh, Wetumpka. They've got their first night of praise tonight at uh, Wetumpka, and they're excited about that. And it's a uh, it's a big day there. They're a year old now, and so um, been gathering for worship there. And it's, so we're really happy for them. All the other folks were happy and proud of you too. Anyway. Uh, uh, glad you're along. Today we're going into a, uh, another installment in our series on Daniel. This one's on spiritual warfare, talking about courageous faith in the middle of a spiritual battle. And so if you didn't get a pen on your way in, please raise your hand. You'll want to take some notes on this one because we're in the middle of a spiritual battle. We live in a world uh, where there are angels and demons all around us. Only occasionally do we talk about this. It's like it's considered by many in our culture this is an old wives' tale or a myth or other things that even bring such stuff up would show that you're, you know, you're not with the times or stuff. There are no such things. But occasionally, even in the news, there'll be things that'll be brought out. I don't know if you remember about three months ago in Utah, there was a car that was found uh, upside down in a river. And so people phoned it in, and a number of sheriff's deputies arrived on the scene, and they got there, and they found this car upside down, and four different deputies all heard a woman saying, help, help me. And they got the car, and they got it out, and they turned it over. Well, the mother had drowned hours before. There was a little 18-month-old child strapped in a car seat that was still alive. And that was not what any of them had heard. And they all, the four different deputies all said, we heard it. They all heard it, and they all ran to the car. And people said, it must have been an angel. Could such things happen? Well, according to the Bible, oh, Yeah. And today I want to talk with you about angels, demons, and in the story of life of Daniel, Daniel met an angel on several occasions. And it's important for us because we're actually going to get a glimpse when God pulls back the curtain in Scripture, we get a glimpse of an unseen battle going on all around us. It's important for you and me to realize this. Secondly, it's important for you and me to know how do we respond to that information? The good news is the Bible tells us how. So I'm glad you're here today. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I thank you. Those sheriff's deputies heard a voice. They rescued that little child. It's too late for the mother, but not for the child. Father, I thank you that um, you send us messages through your word, that you have ministering spirits, angels who carry out your bidding every day. And Lord, the Bible tells us that many of us have entertained angels unawares. So, Lord, today I pray that you'd remind us about spiritual battles going on all around us and then remind us how we're, what we're supposed to do with that information. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Please move me out of the way and say whatever you once said about spiritual warfare to us today, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So, point one on your outline, Daniel was visited by an angel who personally delivered an answer from God to Daniel's prayer. Daniel had prayed a prayer three weeks earlier. And um, didn't get an answer to prayer. He fasted and prayed. You'll hear about this in this paragraph. And didn't get an answer. An angel showed up about three weeks later with a message. In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, this is from Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. Uh, Daniel was gifted with the ability to understand dreams and visions. And God had blessed him supernaturally with this ability. And so he would entrust Daniel with visions of things... Uh, happening in heaven, as well as things that were yet to come. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship for his people. 
Today, we're going to talk about the interaction with the angel and the concept of spiritual warfare. Next week, we're going to talk about the vision. Next week will be a message on prophecy. Daniel has a lot to say about end times. And next week, we're going to jump right into the middle of that. I'm going to do my best to help you understand some of the things that Daniel said would happen at the end of the world. And you will find it fascinating. But um, that's for next week. Today, I just want to focus on the conversation you had with the angel. So when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. At that time, I'd eaten no rich food, no meat or wine across my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. On April 23, and again, this was the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, so um, that was 536 B.C. So this would have been April 23, 536 B.C. We know exactly when Cyrus of Persia came to power, and so this would have been on April 23rd. Um, Daniel, by the way, would have been in his mid-80s. He was an old man now. A number of his um, fellow Israelites had returned to Jerusalem. Daniel was probably too old and decided to stay where he was uh, when they made the return trip. Um, but on April 23rd, as I was uh, on 536 B.C., I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches, his arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a multitude of people. So this uh, angelic being was emanating power. Um, His voice uh, roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me, my faith face grew deathly pale. I felt very weak. And then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. The other people with Daniel, you know, that hair stand up on the back of your neck experience, just, there was dread, and they ran. Daniel was left there alone, and uh, the power of the presence of this angel overwhelmed him, and so he fainted, laid to the ground. But just then a A hand touched me and lifted me up, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. Would you underline that, please? Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I've been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, but I was still trembling. So you get the idea. He got up, and he was still just shaking, just completely overwhelmed. The presence of this angelic being was enough to blow his circuits. So much power. So much glory of God. So much of the glory of God. I had you underline that Daniel, very precious to God, the note there simply says this, God loved Daniel. God was with Daniel his whole life long. Daniel was faithful to God, and God rewarded him for it. And that's why in every lesson, you've seen how every time Daniel was faithful, God would bless him and elevate him so he'd have even a bigger platform to tell everybody how good God was. That's God's desire for us all the time. We always think God wants to get famous people. If if those famous people just became Christians, then they could tell lots of people about Jesus. God likes to use nobodies and then give us bigger platforms when we prove faithful. He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the proud. And so please understand this. Daniel was now an old man. The rest of the Israelites, many of the others, had gone back. He was there by himself. And God gave him a vision, and he reminded Daniel... Hey, Daniel, you are very precious to God. And you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, good for Daniel. I know I'm not precious to God. Well, I got an application for you and me. 
you think that, you're wrong. Because God loves us too. In fact, if in that line there, instead of us, if you put your name, God loves John. God loves Tom. God loves Carol. God loves us. Every now and then, uh, you'll see somebody at a football game holding up the John 3.16 card. You know what I'm talking about? That's because it summarizes the gospel in one little sentence. Uh, I'd like for us to read that together. We don't read this often enough and remind ourselves of this powerful truth. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know I could put my name in there? For God loved John Schmidt so much that he gave his only begotten Son that if John believes in him, he won't perish but have eternal life. That is great news for you and me. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, God loves us. And if that's not enough for you, in the margin, right, Romans 5, let me read you. I, I could have put in like so many verses on this lesson today, and then we'd been here for four hours and you'd all be mad. So I'm just going to go with Romans 5, 6 through 8. Just write it in the margin. Just listen to it. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, this is Romans 5, 8. Listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, people tell me all the time, I'll invite them to church. Oh, you know, God would strike me dead if I came to church. I go, no, try it. You'd be amazed. Well, we're still sinners. Christ died for us. He's not interested in wiping us out. He's the one who came to die so we could be set free. That's why when we baptize people, we dip them in the water to show they've been cleaned. They've been cleansed of their sins. It's a wonderful truth. That's that glorious truth. You don't have to clean up yourself. You come to Jesus and he cleans you. You don't get cleaned up before you take the bath. You take the bath to get cleaned up. Man, this is good news. I wish somebody would say amen. Okay, good. We're awake here. Good. I'm glad. This is really good news. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Not that he didn't realize we were sinners, but precisely because we're sinners. He demonstrates his love for us so much. And so there is a truth that we need to be reminded of all the time. God loves me. He doesn't want me caught up in sin. He doesn't want me indulging in sin. Of course not. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin. But that's why we come to him. And then he makes us clean. By the way, that's why you get baptized by somebody else. You can't do it yourself. If you just go jump in a pool, that's called going swimming. Okay? When you get baptized, you get baptized by somebody else in the church that reminds us, hey, this is something that God does for us. We can't clean ourselves. We're not able to. But Jesus can. One more amen. Please say amen. Please say amen. This is such good news. And Daniel was reminded, hey, Daniel, you're very precious to God. Can I remind you today that you and I are precious to God too? Now, some of you have been with us and go, well, hold the phone, John. If Daniel was so precious to God, just last week you talked about how Daniel got thrown into a lion's den. What about that? And a few weeks before that, Chris Britton was up here, our student minister was up here, talking about how his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were faithful to God, they got pitched into a burning furnace 
If God loves him so much, why do he let that happen? And if God loves me so much, how come I go through hard things in my life? I thought life was supposed to be easy. And if I love God, then he was going to make everything perfect. Mm, that's not what the Bible promises. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but I've overcome the world. And he tells us if people reject us and say horrible things about us because we belong to him. I mean, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were just faithful to him. And if they suffer for that, he said, don't worry about that. Great will be your reward in heaven. I mean, listen to what Paul says about this in Romans 8. Oh, this is the next life application. God loves us even when we have trouble or are persecuted for our faith. We a lot of times think, well, God loves us when everything's going easy, but if anything ever bad happens to us, then God doesn't love us anymore. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, each and every time Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were faithful to serve God, not only did God rescue them, but God used their faithfulness as a platform that the whole empire knew how, knew how great he was. We mistakenly think that this life is about making us happy and eat, giving us an easy life. God's whole job is to make life easy street for us here. Instead of us being faithful to him, making him known to a dark world. We get it all backwards. We think, well, I'm never supposed to have, if I come to Christ, I should never have any trouble. I should never have any pain. No, that's heaven where there's no more sorrow or pain or suffering ever again. That's heaven. That's where we're going one day. Now look, for those of you on video, I'm, I'm in Prevalent. It is the preferred city, okay? I understand that, but it's not heaven. It's just Alabama. In Prattville, we're going to have trouble. In Prattville, in all the other locations we are, Pike Road, Cloverdale, Wetumpka, any place else that people watch us, you're going to have trouble. You and I are going to have trouble. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us anymore. Listen to how Paul explains this, Romans 8. Does it mean that we, he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Paul goes on to say, no, no, it doesn't mean he doesn't love us anymore. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life or angels or demons. There's the spiritual warfare stuff. We're getting to that in a second. Neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So did it mean that God had loved Daniel more when he's given him a vision now than when he stood by him in the lion's den? No, he loved him just as much both times. And we may not be rescued from something in this life, and Jesus says, if you're not, you'll be rewarded in the next. So don't be afraid, and don't worry. Man, we need to hear that today. And so I just want to remind us, before we talk about being courageous in spiritual warfare, one of the things we have to remember is we're precious to God. And he's going to help us through all this. Daniel was just a living example of that. A person of courageous faith who loved God, and he trusted that God would take care of him, and God did. That's why we like him so much. Point two, flip your outline over. The angel was delayed. The angel that came bringing Daniel a, uh, a message. Daniel had had a vision about the future. It disturbed him so much. He'd prayed for three weeks asking for understanding. But he was delayed for three weeks because of spiritual warfare. 
And this is, as I said, kind of a curtain being pulled back so you and I get a glimpse of what's going on around us, an unseen battle. Then he said, the angel said to Daniel, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding three weeks ago and humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I've come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. And again, we'll talk about the vision next week. So if all you're going, oh man, prophecy, I got to get it. Come back next week. You'll love it. I promise. It'll be good. Okay, so who's Michael? Well, Michael's the archangel, the the, uh, representative who represents Israel itself. As you can see here, there was a spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. The devil uh, is real. He is a spiritual being. He was the highest of all angels at one time. Lucifer, bright and morning star, unparalleled in beauty, wisdom, and power, the greatest of all the angelic beings. But one day, pride went to his head, and he forgot that he was created and not the creator. And so he and a number of angels in heaven organized together to plan a coup in heaven to set his throne above the throne of the Most High. And these demons, well, these angels that joined with him are in that rebellion, or what we call demons, fallen angels. And the devil's a rebel who no longer wants to submit to God's will. And he wants to spoil everything that God has created. And there are demons who assist him. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. Only God can. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, although he's much smarter than we are. Don't hear me wrongly on that. Only God knows everything, though. And so how does the devil carry out his work around the globe? Well, he has minions, lots of angelic beings who assist him. And apparently from this we get a glimpse here. Some of them are assigned to geographic territories. There was a spiritual being, a spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia that blocked his way. And so this angel with the message to answer God's prayer was being blocked. And finally Michael came in, ran fullback and took him out so the angel could go through it. We're only two months from football season here. I just had to throw that in. Okay, that's the way it works. But he got the message through, shot through the gap. And so he's telling Daniel, yeah, I was delayed. Michael came to help me out. There's a note here. We're in the middle of an unseen spiritual battle going all around us too. Now, I have no idea how the territories all work, but we're given clues here that there are angelic beings assigned to the United States, probably to this city, probably to our neighborhoods. And that explains why some things can happen all around the world. Evil things, horrible things. You go, what's going on here? Or atrocious, horrible things like the Nazis during World War II. How could that ever happen? I mean, sociologists are still at a loss to explain this apart from the existence of evil. How could anybody ever treat other people the way the Nazis treated the Jews? Ever, for any reason. It was insane. It was so evil. Yeah, but the devil was trying to destroy God's people, his chosen people. Hmm. Ephesians 6, 12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 6. Here's Ephesians 2. 
Paul reminded those of us who are believers, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. Here's the unseen world again. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I mean, this is what spiritual warfare looks like. It's a battle for our mind. He's at work in the hearts of those who obey the devil. Before we become Christians, we just do the devil's bidding. He tempts us to do something, we do it. That's why when people ask me, can you believe so-and-so does this sin? Well, yeah, an unregenerate heart, sure. Birds fly, fish swim, sinners sin. So when we come to Christ, we realize, I don't have to live that way anymore. I can be made new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, new things have come. That's the wonderful hope. That's why we can come, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. But the battle for our minds, once we become believers, now the battle for our minds is the devil wants to trick us and pull us back into our old ways and say, hey, you're not a new creation. You're just as sorry as you always were. And, and is that really true? I mean, all that stuff in the Bible about being honest and being pure and being faithful. That, come on. I mean, it wouldn't it be much more progressive to believe there's lots of ways to heaven? Wouldn't it be much more intellectual? Because, I mean, there's people all over the world who believe different things. Come on, let's just be enlightened. I mean, I mean does the Bible really say that Jesus is the only way? By the way, yes, it does. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Yes, it does say that. Yes, it does. And the whole reason this is important is because we're going through a battle. This is what it is. It's a battle for our minds. I mean, people think, well, if you talk about spiritual battle, you mean, are you going to show horror movies where people, their heads spin around and they projectile vomit and they talk in weird voices? Is that what we're talking about? Seances and things like that? No. I mean, those are certainly wicked and evil. But for most of us, the spiritual battle is much less glamorous than that and much more effective, too. You get a bunch of people whose heads are spinning around, they're projectile vomiting, our church is packed on Sunday, okay? I promise. <laughs> hey, I don't want any of that. But when somebody comes in selling you a much more enlightened view, well, you don't really have to honor your marriage vows. You don't really have to be honest. Those are just kind of like guidelines, maybe. And welcome to spiritual warfare. All around us. All the time. And we become Christians we realize, hey, we've been lied to. I don't have to live that way anymore. And then Satan will come back to us and go, well, you really weren't washed clean. You're just a filthy, rotten hypocrite now. Mm-mm. I'm a child of the king. You got to hear that today. Life application, by the way, I'm trying to help you live this out right now. We need to be prepared, prepared for spiritual battle because the spiritual battle comes at us every day, could come through a movie, could come through a comment of a friend, could become, come through a discouraging email. I don't know. We're human. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. Underline destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts. We teach them to obey Christ. 
And what I've been walking you through today is one of those attempts to destroy a proud argument. And that is this. It's a proud argument. Well, you know, I mean, God really doesn't, can't save everybody. I mean, some of us are just, he doesn't love everybody. He doesn't love me. I've gone too far. And the devil uses that as a proud argument. It's like, you're nothing. And that's why when we started out, if you go back to the first page, that God loves me. I wanted you to hear John 3.16 again. I read Romans 5, 6 through 8 to you. Because I want us to hear truth. I want to destroy a falsehood, a lie of the devil that you can never be forgiven and God doesn't really love you. It's a lie. And we need to demolish that. That's why I quoted John 14, 6. Well, there's lots of ways to God. Doesn't that sound more enlightened? Well, it might, may sound more enlightened, but it's not true. We come to Christ because Christ is the one who died on the cross for our sins. Christ alone is the one who rose from the dead. He is the Son of God. And our faith is in Him. This is putting on God's armor a piece at a time. You'll see this now as you go through this. Listen to this now and think about, okay, how would we stand firm in a world, if there's an unseen battle, if there are angelic beings doing battle all around us, if there are demons whispering in our ears, discouragements, lies, flattery, all kinds of things to puff us up or discourage us or to bring us down, whatever it is to keep us away from God's truth, how would we deal with that? Well, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the devil, the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Please circle that. I'm coming back. Stand your ground. You know, Christians, you and I, as Christians, we're called to do, stand our ground. Well, how are we going to do it? Paul says this way. You put on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. I mean, we need truth. Because otherwise we'll start believing all those lies. That everybody's more enlightened than we are. That God really doesn't love us. That we're not really forgiven. That we can never make a difference. Other people need to do that. Professionals need to do that. You can't share the gospel with your friends. John Schmidt needs to. He went to seminary, and that's his job anyway. Yeah. Only problem is John Schmidt doesn't know your neighbor. They know you. You're the one who earned the right to be heard, not me. You see how that all gets in there? It's like a tapeworm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth. The body armor of God's righteousness. Righteousness, like a chest plate, body armor to protect us. If we live righteous lives, then people don't have much to accuse us with. That was Daniel's whole deal. Remember last week they tried to accuse him of stuff. Couldn't find anything. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared, always being ready to share our faith. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. We're going to be attacked by doubts. We're going to be attacked by accusations. We're going to be attacked by people who call us all kinds of names, bigots, liars, idiots, fools. Happens now daily in the press. Some Christian is run down somewhere. If you just stand up for what the Bible says, well, we're going to need our faith. We need a shield of faith to remind us, no, Jesus said this would happen. That's the truth. I'm living a life that's right. I got a shield of faith up here. We don't need to give in here just because there's darts coming. Put on salvation as your helmet when people attack you and say, well, who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? I think I'm a filthy, rotten sinner saved by the grace of God. And that same salvation is open to you too. 
Well, who are you to judge anybody? I'm nobody to judge anybody at all. But there is a God in heaven that we'll have to give account to one day. And he has told us we don't have to worry about judgment day if we come with our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. The same salvation that saves me is available to you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. That's the truth. We live in a world where people tell you that's all a lie. And if we stand up for righteousness, we're judging people. Who are you to judge? Well, put on the helmet of salvation. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's who I am. You can be too. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now you know why we want everybody to read the Bible every day and let God speak to you. If you and I will read our Bibles every day, He will equip us. He will teach us things that we would never know on our own. We will have exactly the right words to say at the right time. There's a spiritual battle going on all around us, my friends, and we need to be ready. And we take this Word, and this Word can demolish arguments. Because we can quote them scriptures like I have, and they go, well, that's true. And this scripture can convince us of things, so we change our lives, and then our lives are right, and then we're not available for being attacked that we would have been otherwise. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for us, is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul said, look, you want to be prepared for a spiritual battle? Daniel was given a glimpse of it. There are angelic beings all around you, Daniel. They're carrying on a fight. And the answer was delayed because of a spiritual struggle. John, does that still happen today? Of course it does. I meet with people all the time, and it's obvious what God wants them to do. But they're not willing to give up their pride. They're not willing to give up their addiction. They're not willing to deal with the issue that's dragging them into sin. And it might take weeks. It might take months. Sometimes it takes years for their pride to be broken. There's a spiritual stronghold in their lives. And there's a spiritual battle for their marriage. And it's a spiritual battle for the truth. A few years ago, a fella came walking in at the end of a service, and I was really nervous because a couple of years before that, he'd left my office, and his wife had brought him in, and he just had a bunch of issues. The biggest issues were he was stubborn and mean, and he needed to know Jesus. So my pastoral counsel to him was, you're stubborn and mean and need to know Jesus. <laughs> that went over like a lead balloon. He stormed out of the office. He was so mad at me. Slammed the door. Never coming back to this church. Well, he came back. Sunday morning, he's walking up to me. Going, oh, this is going to be good. So he's walking up to me. He goes, you remember who I am? And I go, yeah. He said, do you remember you told me I was stubborn and mean and I needed Jesus? I said, yeah. He said, well, I want you to know for a year and a half I was mad as fire at you. I would run you down to everybody I met about the way you said that to me. And about six months ago, this was two years after it happened, about six months ago I was staying up late one night, I couldn't sleep, and I was fuming over you again. And I flipped through the channels, and there was some guy on TV, some TV preacher who's going on, are you stubborn and mean, and do you need Jesus? Well, this is a time to get rid of that. <laughs> and he said, I couldn't believe it. And he said, I got down on my knees, and I surrendered my stubborn pride, and God has changed my life completely. And he shook out his, he stood out his hand, and he said, I want to thank you for telling me the truth. I said, I want to thank you because I was scared to death about what you were going to say. <laughs> I had no idea. 
There are spiritual battles going on for your brother, for your boss, for that guy who lives around the corner. Do you know that's happening today? There are demons whispering in people's ears. Sometimes it comes through a podcast. Sometimes it comes through the advice of a friend or some demonic temptation that looks all good and glittery. Well, who's going to stand up and say the right thing? And look, I probably would have gotten an F in pastoral counseling for the way I handled that. But the guy didn't need a bunch of hugs that day. He just needed to be told you're stubborn and mean. You need Jesus. I didn't tell him that because I hated him. I told him that because it's the truth. And I'd earned enough for time with him, relationship with him in the past, that it was okay for me to say that. What about you? When are we going to stand firm? By the way, all that uh, armor stuff, the, the sword of the Spirit is our offensive weapon. But one of the things that was interesting, I read a bunch of commentaries on that this week. Get ready for this. All of them point out none of the armor is for the back. It never entered Paul's head that we would run away. Stand firm. You know what God wants his people to do in our culture today? Be like Daniel. You know what Daniel did his whole life in the wicked Babylonian culture? He stood firm. And he gave a clear answer, no matter what the consequence. God is looking for that today. We live in a world that's nuts. So whatever makes you feel good, do that. And we'll celebrate it. And all kinds of things that nobody ever would have dreamed of years ago are now being pushed down our throats. Well, we need to stay alert, pray for each other, and be ready. Point three, we've got to wrap this up. God will strengthen us and help us stand firm in the midst of spiritual battle. You go, well, John, I don't know if I could do that. Well, I want to welcome, well, I just say welcome to the club. I can't do it either. Listen how much encouragement we get from God strengthening people. Okay, so this mighty angel appears. All of Daniel's companions freak out and run away. Hair standing up on the back of their neck. Something spooky's going on. They take off. Daniel faints. The angel helps him up and helps him stand. Tells him that he has been fighting a spiritual battle just to get there. And while he was still speaking to me, this is Daniel 10, 15. I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. And the one who looked like a man touched my lips. And I opened my mouth and I began to speak. And I said to the one standing in front of me, Look, I'm filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen, my Lord. And I'm very weak. How can someone like me... 85 years old, an old man, your servant, talk to you, my Lord. My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. Well, then the one who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Would you underline that again? Mm. Peace. Be encouraged. Be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger. Daniel did not say, and so I, I bucked up and I found some strength and I, I, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Mm -mm. said, I can't do this. And the angel said, I know. You're precious to God. I'll give you strength. Well, how does that apply to you and me? Well, Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus to his disciples so they could carry out the mission God had given them. In a world filled with devils, and yes, the disciples knew that because they'd seen Jesus cast out demons. They knew Jesus had been tempted one-on-one -on -one by Satan himself. And he warned them. He said, you're going to have trouble. Don't be afraid. 
I'll be with you to the end of the, war, end of the age. You just go make disciples. And by the way, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And they went in God's power, not their own. If you and I are worried about, hey, how can I be a witness to my friends? How can I stand firm? How can I know what I'm supposed to say? Well, that's why we read the Bible every day. We count on the Holy Spirit to make it apply to our lives. That's why we pray. So God will strengthen us. Paul said, pray for me too. Pray I'll be bold. Hope you pray for me on that on Sunday mornings. I don't even know where everything goes out through the internet. It's amazing. I'll get emails from people in Pittsburgh that are watching this. I don't even know anybody in Pittsburgh. People in other parts of the world. How do you know who you're impacting? How do you know when you and I just stand firm? We pray for love for people that are unlovely. Well, I know the Bible says I'm supposed to be kind to my next-door neighbor, but I can't stand that guy. Then pray that God will help you stand that guy. That's the way it works. God will give us the power. That's not just for Daniel. That's for you and me, too. Here's another life application. We must never forget that God's in control, even when it doesn't seem like it. I've brought this up every week. It's the same thing here, too. There's a spiritual battle going on. There's a mighty prince of Persia. Daniel was taken captive decades before. He'd been through all kinds of trials. And God goes, oh, hey, tell Daniel. Tell the, he sends the angel. Tell him how, how precious he is to me. Remind him I'm in control. That's what the vision's about. And again, I'll go over the vision next week. Prophecy's coming. But listen to this. When Paul writes the Romans, i got to start signing off my letters this way. Paul's letters were amazing. Listen to how he kind of signs off in Romans. God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I love that. Hey, I hope things are going well. Oh, by the way, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. See you, John. I mean, it's true. It's true. Revelation 20.10, the tempter of the world. By the way, you know what the name Satan means? It means adversary. He will be bound hand and foot, and he'll be thrown into the lake of fire, and he'll be tormented there forever and ever and ever. And we have God's word on that. And that's coming soon. We need to remind each other of the truth. I hope that's why you come on Sunday mornings to praise God. One of the reasons you come, to praise God with your whole heart and then to hear from his word and be reminded of the truth. This is how we encourage each other. I hope you, real, you and I are reminded today that there are opportunities for you and me to stand firm everywhere we go. Our culture needs us now. If you're worried, man, our culture is growing dark, well, what a better time for a light. I just wish somebody would stand firm. Well, let's quit wishing and let's start standing. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity for me to stand up here and talk about the reality of spiritual warfare and what we're supposed to do about it from your word. I thank you for the power that you give us through the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you make people brand new from the inside out. I thank you, Lord, that there's forgiveness no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. I thank you that Jesus has shown us the way to reach heaven and when it's through him. And God, I pray that you will empower us, that you'll give us a hunger for your word, that we'll read it every day, and that we'll get used to it so we'll know how to handle the Bible and the scriptures like a workman knows how to handle a sharp knife.
or a soldier knows how to handle his sword. I pray that you will convict us of sin and we'll get rid of the sin in our lives and that way we'll have the breastplate of righteousness so people can't go around accusing us of doing stuff either. We'll be like Daniel. I pray, Lord, that you would help us put on the belt of truth and we'd be armed with the truth wherever we go so we'd be able to just stand firm against lies that are obvious lies. But, Father, we live in a culture where the emperor can wear no clothes and we all stand up and applaud. Crazy stuff. Help us stand firm. Oh God, I pray that you will empower us to be your witnesses. That you give us courage. We're told to pray for each other so we can proclaim the gospel boldly. I pray that you give us boldness. And Lord, you remind us that to put on the helmet of salvation every day. We're nothing except people. We are sinners like everybody else who've been saved by your grace. But because we've been saved by your grace, we've been adopted in your family, and now we are children of the King. I pray that the lies of the devil will not trip us up. I pray that we will not be afraid. Our culture needs us now more than ever before. The Babylonians needed Daniel. They needed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were ready. God, I want to be like them. Oh, God, I really do. We pray these things together in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who overcame the world and told us not to be afraid. In that strong name together we say, amen.